Good morning, Pastor Scott. Uh, well, whatever time you're watching, morning, evening, I don't know. But this is Pastor Scott. Welcome back. Uh, I want to give you a little heads up. We're producing what's called Take the Weekend With You. Every week, we're kind of continuing the discussion in Genesis so we can get the fullness of the whole book kind of out to you. So in order to get that, you can sign up for our shout-out. Just go online there and click, you know, connect and sign up for our shout out. And you can get that content delivered to you every week. It'll come out to you on Wednesdays usually. You have a chance to watch it. So if you have trouble sleeping Wednesday night, you can listen to me and put you right to sleep. Anyway, that's coming up for you. Something that you can be mindful of and take advantage of. We produce this content for one reason. The global glory of God. And number two, for you. Hopefully it's helpful. So today, we're going to talk about, well, Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> so when that name kind of hits you, all kind of things flood your mind. You think about debauchery and perversion, and these two cities were so bad that God burned them to the ground, and what made these cities so bad wasn't their location, but their culture. And the people of these cities had accepted cultural norms that were repulsive, unless you're a part of the culture. Now, most of us are against sin, except for the ones we like. Now, I know that you're going, wait, what is that, Scott? It's true, actually. I think most of us practice what's called sin management. You know, as long as you don't find out what I'm up to, I can do what I want to, what I want to. Or if the culture is going to an extreme, I can go to that. And I thought about this the other day, that if God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their immorality, Man, he owes an apology to them because he's letting certain cities just kind of get away with everything. But then I remembered there's a difference between Sodom and Gomorrah and what's going on today in today's culture. It's called the church. It's called Christians. We're to be salt and light. And God withholds his judgment because of the church. Now, one day he's going to end the age, and, and that's going to close the books on humanity, and the church will be triumphant. But there's some things to be considered there. The problem with culture is that God is often not even considered, or worse, he's mocked in culture. God's view of what's right and wrong is overlooked and un unknown or unrecognized, usually because of arrogance or ignorance. Because original sin is wanting to be God, then we as a culture take on that when we should be considering what God says, and we want to make the rules when actually God has made the rules. I, I don't know what God's word says, so I'll just go with what the culture says. It's what so many people think, or go with what everybody else is doing. You know, as a teenager, when you said, well, everybody's doing it, you knew it wasn't any good. And when you're a parent of teenagers, you say, well, everybody's doing it. You say, well, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you do it? And of course, when I was a teenager, yeah, everybody was jumping off bridges, so, you know, we did. But anyway, I grew up in the panhandle of Florida. Whole other discussion. So all of that goes to say, what are we going to do? The big problem is this. Often think that God should adjust to me instead of me adjusting to God. I have to remember, I'm not God. And that's kind of easy to remember, but, remember, but hard to remember. Now, God destroyed the cities, but Abraham's reaction to all of this uh for these cities of pending doom were just really kind of amazing to me. Abraham shows a side of his character that's pretty amazing. So here's a few things I want you to remember as we read this account. The account of these three men and Abraham was very intentional. 
God knew that he was going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah, and he knew why he was going to do it. He stopped by Abraham's tent out of relational love. God loved Abraham, so he went by to see his buddy. He also used this encounter to examine Abraham's heart. He wanted to make sure that Abraham loved God and loved people. Huh. God was giving Abraham's heart of compassion, and Abraham displayed that heart pretty evident. And I want to say something. God's always intentional. And many times he'll put you in situations for your heart of compassion to be exposed. Take advantage of the opportunities for a heart of compassion. The theologians believe that one of these visitors was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Now, I talked about that uh, recently in either one of the Take the Weekends with you or the, the message from last week. Uh, this is not a stretch because Jesus has always been present. He's eternal, just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we notice several places in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord appears, which is Jesus Christ, the incarnate, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Now, God was not asking Abraham's permission to carry out divine judgment. Abraham knew that his nephew Lot lived in Sodom, and he was worried about this man and his family. Abraham had already rescued Lot once from the hands of the kings, and Lot was in trouble yet again. Lot loved the world and made a bad decision accordingly. Now, here's what I think. Abraham, when he fled to Egypt because of the famine of the land, he took Lot with him and Sarah, and that's when he pimped Sarah out to the Pharaoh. Lot liked Egypt a lot, but it did. So Lot gets into a pagan culture doing pagan perverse things. He gets exposed to things he never was exposed to. He opened doors in his life that he could never close. So Lot was looking for the, for the, for the lascivious. He was looking for the perverted. He got a taste of it in Egypt, and he liked it. So when they moved out of Egypt, that um, Lot was still had a pining for what he met there because Lot never worshipped God. Abraham built altars. Lot moved towards depravity. Hmm. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about choosing wisely. Lot did not choose wisely. He looked at the land he went there, so Egypt was always synonymous in Scripture with worldly and world desires, sex, power, selfishness, paganism, the whole mess. When we look back in history, we have a tendency to clean it up, but this culture was perverted, really perverted. Egypt was a dumpster fire, a perverted mess. And the eye see what the heart seeks. Because Lot was exposed to this, he saw that and his heart saw it. And the heart seeks what the eyes see. That's why you have to be careful, little eyes, what you see. Huh. Because it shapes us. The compelling part of this account is not the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but the encounter between God and Abraham and the heart of compassion. So let's talk about this. Father, thank you for today and the opportunity to dive into your word again. And I know that your word is bread and honey, milk and meat, and it will speak to us at the deepest place. So let it speak to us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. If you remember, the first thing I want you to remind you, because people need to be reminded more and instructed, is that Abraham lived in the presence of God. Therefore, he was given divine revelation. When you live in the presence of God, God will show you things before things are become evident to everyone else. Now, some call it prophecy. It's really not that, but it's revelation, divine revelation. Listen, 
Genesis 18, 16-21. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to see, to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That's the promise of Jesus. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteous and justice, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he had promised him. To bring righteous and judgment, justice. That's what God, justice, returning things to proper order. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. If not, I will know. Now, this reading of this passage makes sense. Uh, it, it makes it seem like that God really didn't know what was going on. Well, God did know what was going on. And this is a false assumption. God always knows. God always knows. What he was doing was displaying his compassion. God was displaying his compassion. He heard the outcry. He could have spoken to heaven and destroy it, but his compassion and his mercy, he was extending that to, to these people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Everyone around knew what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. God knew it, but God wanted to give them a chance to repent. And God was testing Abraham's heart of compassion. Revelation is often an opportunity for your reaction to be like Jesus. God's revelation is always a check of your heart. Now, in the book I'm working on right now, Living All for Jesus, one of the chapters is, May My First Reaction Be in Love. Whew, that's hard. But when my heart is fixed on God, God is love, therefore my reaction should reflect the heart of God and should be out of love. Even in Sodom and Gomorrah, God was reacting out of love. What was the sin of, God, of Sodom and Gomorrah? Was it only sexual? No, there was so much more. There were, other, were there other grievous sins? I think so. The sexual sin was an extension for the disrespect of human life and for the purity of God. God has always preserved uh, sex for marriage. Sex for marriage. Any sexual behavior outside the covering of God in marriage is sinful. The root problem was rebellion. These guys had said, I'm going to throw away God, and sexual sin is no more dangerous than any other sin, but they'd thrown off the covering of God. And the people of the city were into all kinds of dehumanizing behavior, including child sacrifice. So it wasn't the fact that they were practicing these perversions. It was dehumanizing throughout the whole spectrum of the, of the societal experience. God saw this. The visitation of God to Sodom and Gomorrah was an evidence of his mercy. Huh. The Lord does not delay in his promises, as some say delay, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. With that said, God himself came to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they still didn't repent. Wow. When we live in the presence of God, we can expect God to give us his revelation. God speaks through his word, through peace that comes through prayer, through circumstances, and through other believers. Revelation of God always comes through relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with others, the revelation of God.
Oh. When it comes to Revelation, it's always about, and most often about, bringing redemption to people. I get um, emails a lot, prayer request emails. What I've noticed is that um, most of them were for healing of people. This one's sick, that one's sick. It's awesome. The Bible says for us to pray for the sick, and we do. Very rarely do I have emails praying for someone to be saved. I wonder why. Because we're all going to die, and we should pray that people are healed, absolutely, but not everyone's, I mean, hell's real. What if we started praying more for lost folks with the intentionality? Not saying that we don't need to pray for, for sick folks. Don't misunderstand me. But praying for the lost people. We started doing that, praying for our lost people in the Wimberley Valley, that they would come to know Christ. And praying for the lost people that are listening to this, this cast right now, that you would come to know Christ. That's the biggest desire. We're all going to get sick, and we're all going to die. But we don't all have to go to hell. And this is what God was saying. Abraham literally was doing this. Abraham was interceding for the lostness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, the intercessor. It's the second thing I want you to see. Abraham stepped forward and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you sweep it away instead of... Sparing the place for the sake of 50 righteous people who were in it. You could not only possible do such a thing uh, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Want the judge of the whole earth do what is just? <clears throat> this is very bold. Abraham steps up. He seems to challenge God in his intentions. And this is an old, this is, this in his old age is challenging God, asking, will you withhold judgment because of innocent people being caught up with the guilty. The problem was that there was no one innocent in the, in the city, not even Lot and his family. God was justified in his actions. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away and all become like become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Romans 3, uh, 10 through 12. Abraham was bold enough to stand in the gap for non-believers. He was standing in the gap for the lot and his family. And I'm sure Abraham was pleading with God more on the behalf of his family than others. And that reveals the heart of Abraham and the heart of compassion. Now, most of us will say, burn them up, God. Let them get what they deserve. Oh, gosh, you better be careful when you pray that. Because God doesn't give you what you deserve. Ever. Ever. And there should be this compassion we have for people that offers God's mercy and grace to everyone. Because he's in compassionate God and he extends his grace to people, shouldn't we do the same? Maybe we should lose the judgment and we start becoming people who are pleading with God on the behalf of people. Just a thought. Do you know what keeps most people away from Jesus? It's the judgmental nature of Christians. Abraham gives God a challenge. He said, will the judge of all the earth not do what's right? <laughs> I'm sure God smiled at Abraham knowing that his bold accusation was a part of just Abraham's testing. Of course God will do what is right and just. Of course he will. His decisions are always right. And then you see a countdown with Abraham. He starts with 50, then he goes to 45, then he goes to 40, then he goes to 30, then he goes to 20, then he goes to 10. And he's saying, will you destroy him for, you know, 50, for 45, for 40, for 30, for 20, for 10? Will you do, will you do, will you do that? 
And God says, okay, I won't destroy for that many. If there's 10, I'm going to. But God knew there was none, not even Lot and his wife. In fact, he had to drag them out of the city. And Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of stone. And then Lot has sex with his daughters. What? This is a nasty mess. Lot is a dumpster fire. So God went down and he spared Lot and his family because of his relationship with Abraham. I have prayed that for people. I prayed that for family members. God, would you spare them on the sake, on my sake that I love you? Uh, maybe a, an arrogant prayer. I don't know. But I hurt for people. And I want to see them come to know Christ. I hurt for my family. I want to see them come to know Christ. So it was God. So it was. When God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval. And he demolished the city where Lot had lived. You see, your intercession, your intercession matters. And you're praying for people matters. When you step in the gap and pray for people, it matters. Who are you praying for? Who you want to see come to know Christ? People may not listen to your words, but your prayers are powerful in the changing of lives. People may, will not, may not listen to your words, but your prayers are powerful in the changing of lives. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful and effective. We need to become people who intercede. Here's the last thing. Well, actually, two more things. Let's contrast Lot and Abraham. Lot loved the world and the sins of the world. Lot had moved from living near Sodom to living in Sodom. <laughs> he pitched his tent near Sodom, and then you find him living in Sodom. He knew God in his purity, but he chose to live in filth. Abraham lived in the presence of God. Lot interceded with God regarding mercy. Lot bargained with the men of the city. He wanted them to have sex with the, with the, the men wanted to have sex with the two angels that came, and he even offered his daughters to replacement of the angels. What a creep. His virgin daughters. Have sex with my daughters and leave these guys alone. What it seems like. The pre it seems like the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ had not made the journey into the city because there were only two angels. The Lord came to visit Abraham because Abraham was a friend of God. Therefore, his purposes was complete. God revealed himself to Abraham, and he sent his angels to rescue Lot. God knew the outcome of Sodom and Gomorrah before he began his journey, but he went anyway. Lot never offered up repentance of faith to the men of the city, he just covered himself, and Lot could have been used by God to bring revival, but he didn't. Instead, his life serves as a warning for everyone. Here's the last thing. This account serves to remind me and you. God loves sinners, even though judgment is coming. God died to save sinners from the judgment that is coming. Repentance, turning to God through Jesus Christ by faith, brings God's mercy and salvation only by turning to God in repentance and faith, changing your ways, embracing Jesus. I need to intercede in prayer, the prayer through actions of compassion, through words of encouragement, and through prayer for those who don't know Jesus. 
One of the most famous, this is one of the most famous accounts in Scripture. Most everyone knows when they hear Sodom and Gomorrah. The question is, did they know about Jesus and his love? Hmm. Are you like Abraham? Or are you like Lot? Choose. I'm going to choose to live in the presence of God like Abraham. Not in the sins of depravity like Lot. What about you? Father, I pray that as we deal with this subject matter that's very, very hard, that we will choose to live in your presence. Some even praying right now in repentance and faith to receive you as Lord and Savior by whispering, Jesus, I'm yours. Forgive my sins. Some choosing to walk away from the culture of the world to live a life of purity and openness before you, a never-changing God. A never-changing God. Not ever-changing, never-changing. So, Father, I pray we'll make decisions today that determine our destinies of the present and of the future. Thank you for being faithful. I pray this in your name. Amen. So, uh, what's your next step? Do you, do you need to be baptized? Well, come to Texas. We'll baptize you. Or let us know. We'll make an arrangement for you. Um, if you're close by, creek's starting to warm up. We'll get the water soon. Love to baptize you. Love to take your next step. Take the next step class. Help you understand what you've done, connecting, growing, serving, and sharing with Christ. All online, all available to you. Let us pray for you. You received Christ today, let us pray for you. If you know someone who needs prayer because they're lost, send their name in. We'll pray for them, and you can, we'll pray with you over them. Uh, let's take those next bold steps and do it for the global glory of God. Sign up for the shout-out and get the Take the Weekend With You material that's, that's coming out every week. And also, thank you for your generosity. I'm so glad you're here. I love you. I'm praying God's best for you as we live all for Jesus. See you soon.